On November 17th, 2017, just a couple days ago, the 35th Golden Joystick Awards were held in London. They're a big deal. They're the second longest running award ceremony in the video game industry, and the largest, too. Three million people cast votes this year, for example. This year, something special happened, and it happened in the award for Xbox Game of the Year. Typically, which is to say, ever since this category existed, the Xbox Game of the Year has gone to a AAA studio. AAA studios are the big ones. Massive budgets and incredible production value. They're the Hollywood of video games. But this year, amazingly, it didn't happen that way. Instead of going to a studio like Microsoft or Bethesda or Rockstar, it went to a small company called Studio MDHR, based out of Oakville, Canada, a suburb of Toronto, and founded by two brothers, Jared and Chad Moldenhauer. The game was Cuphead. I'm Brian Fabry Dorsum, and this is a character creator side quest. Today, we're going to talk about one of the most popular indie games in recent memory. Cuphead was released less than two months ago, and it has already gathered an incredible amount of acclaim. In the two weeks after it was first launched, it was downloaded more than a million times. For two brothers in the Canadian suburbs making their first game, that's a lot of downloads. The game got famous for two reasons, mainly. One, it's hard, really hard. You die a lot. And that's part of it. Die, die again, die better. But making a hard game is easy. What's not easy is drawing the whole thing by hand. And that is what the makers of Cuphead did. They animated every frame. This is the second reason that Cuphead got famous. The animation perfectly mimics the classic animation of Max Fleischer and Walt Disney in the 1930s. It looks and feels exactly like early Betty Boop, Coco the Clown, or Silly Symphony cartoons. So with pitch-perfect animation, challenging gameplay, and a fantastic old-time jazz score, Cuphead was considered a triumph by nearly everyone. Nearly everyone. My name is Samantha Blackman. I am an associate professor at Purdue University. My research focus is both minority rhetorics and digital rhetorics, and within digital rhetorics, Specifically, I do game studies. Samantha first saw Cuphead when the rest of us did, when it was announced at the Electronic Entertainment Expo in 2014. What struck me most about the art style was the fact that it was so strongly influenced by the animation styles of the 1930s. Seeing that on the screen brought up feelings for me as a black woman, and a black woman with a very particular uh, knowledge set about animation, about history, and about minority rhetoric. And Samantha saw something in that animation style that a lot of the rave reviews have failed to see. Cuphead is very successful at what it attempts to do. And that's not the problem. Um, Let me start by saying that. Because I don't think as a person or as a game scholar that this animation style should go away. But what I do think as a human being and as a game scholar is that this animation style should not go uninterrogated. I spoke with Yusuf Cole, a freelance writer who feels the same way. He published an article recently about Cuphead and the history of Fleischer and Disney animation. 
a problematic history that often gets ignored. The 30s were kind of the beginning of what we call industrial animation, which is like animation done by larger teams or companies at some point, at that point. Um, previous to that, a lot of it had been done by individuals and small companies. And the Fleischers and Disney were definitely at the forefront, um, though there were other companies. And the Fleischers are really good at just like outputting a ton of animation. And they did it, they got away with it by, you know, simplifying the character designs and the backgrounds. And often, you know, kind of relying on stereotype and, and shorthand just to speed up the intake with their assumed, you know, mostly like white audience. So that's where you get a lot of the racist stereotypes from and that kind of animation. And Fleischer and Disney didn't make up those stereotypes. It was also influenced by vaudeville, which was at the time that animation was growing in the 30s, vaudeville was kind of, go, you know, going away mainly because of movie theaters. And there's like only space for one big media pastime as far as American culture goes, because there was like animation before that was vaudeville and before that was, uh, you know, minstrel shows. And so but a lot of these animators were obviously big into vaudeville and like everybody else was. They're influenced by a lot of the stuff that vaudeville did. And a lot of that was quick, easy to, to digest comedy acts. A lot of it relying on uh, racial and ethnic stereotypes. It's important here to tell you a bit about the story of Cuphead. It's not just the style that references 1930s animation. It's also the plot. Like many characters from the Fleischer era, Cuphead and his brother, Mugman, owe a gambling debt. In order to get out of their debt, they make a deal with the devil to gather the souls of runaway debtors. But the trouble is that tricksters, thieves, gamblers, these tropes aren't just throwbacks to an earlier age in animation. In the 1930s, they were actually racially coded stereotypes. Yeah, those archetypes were like the trickster, the thief, and the like a laid out and a lazy character are really drawn from vaudeville and in turn from uh, like minstrel shows and minstrel tropes because essentially a long-term and long-lasting stereotype of black people in America was from the period of slavery when they were just dehumanized and viewed as almost like farm animal that didn't want to do the work because the work was obviously backbreaking and impossible but because you know you kind of have as, as these slave owners have to rationalize and make um, themselves feel better it, they created these stereotypes of slaves being lazy, and uh, and in the minstrel shows, basically, they would have these narratives where they would come up with any reason to not do the work, and there's usually, like, an interlocutor or straight man um, character who would try and kind of get these minstrel characters to do something, and the minstrel characters would come up with a way to slip out of that um, arrangement. And the important narrative of Cuphead feels very reminiscent of these tropes because Basically, your characters have made a deal with the devil because they're, they've been gambling, and they kind of the whole game is you trying to kind of back out of that deal. So you're kind of embodying these fixer and rebellious tropes. You know, it, it is the gambler, uh, it is the jazz club, it is the speakeasy, it is all of these. Uh, all of these tropes that are based in a very specific black and, in many cases, black southern reality, when we start to talk about speakeasies and juke joints, that they take and, and make the evil. And, and then we still have to remember 
that when we had people going into jazz clubs during the during the Jim Crow era, they were going into these jazz clubs to see black performers and to be waited on by black staff. But black people were not allowed to patronize these places. Black folks were being uh, relegated to a, to a, a position of servitude, either in terms of entertainment or in terms of just domestic service. And when we start to demonize that, that demonizes that aspect of black culture. And that, I think, is what's problematic about the way Cuphead handles this, right, by demonizing this. It is demonizing something that has often been other, capital O, other, to whites, uh, but it's a very real part of our of our histories as blacks. I mean, things like speakeasies and juke joints were still very real when I was growing up in the 70s in the South and are still kind of very real even now in 2017. It has a real history, a rich history that we don't see as being demonic, uh, but we see as being one that is to be treasured, that is to be cherished and one to be continued. Fleischer and Disney were like using jazz so heavily in the 30s because like it was you know it was the popular music of the time like and it was hypocritically so because it was like you know these are jazz clubs where like the musicians themselves couldn't sit in the audience like they were basically on stage performing like to white crowds because these are segregated clubs but they're also you know in their own way successful but it was in a very marginal and restrained place but it's also like very much like part of American history, like, and it's been that way forever, like, just the way, like, gangster rap and rap music has become so big, but also at the same time, the, the artists are disrespected and, and still seen as thugs and what have you. There's a lot of cachet to black culture, but it's not owned. You know, for example, even, like, the soundtrack of the game is, is a really well-done soundtrack, and, I mean, it's just beautiful music, but the music is deeply inspired by, like, Duke Ellington and even Cap Calloway and, like, artists like that, and... You know, all the musicians in the making of videos are white for the most part. I think that's like a larger problem than just trying to capture the um, aesthetic of a certain period. It's really just like about how black culture is appropriate in mind for adding like a, an extra edge to your to your product without necessarily acknowledging and in turn enriching like black culture as part of the the, the output of your of your game or your your cartoon or what have you. Like, you love the culture, but you don't think about the people. It's endemic to, like, American culture. Like, what, what's, what's inspiring about the, the art and the cartoon and the aesthetic is just taken as a, as a surface inspiration. And, like, the, the culture under, underneath it is kind of ignored because a lot of it's uncomfortable. I think that has been happening forever. And that's just it. Part of the trouble for Samantha and Yusuf has been the response from Studio MDHR. When asked about all of this in a recent Rolling Stone interview, the lead inking artist for Cuphead replied, quote, it's visuals, and that's about it. Anything else happening in that era? We're not versed in it, end quote. Yusuf explains that this kind of sidestepping has actually been happening for a very long time. Essentially, after World War II, that's kind of the, the onset of the civil rights movement because a lot of black soldiers are coming back from the war where America had just fought to basically, you know, free the world and, and spread liberty everywhere and then going back to America and, and getting faced with the same awful treatment that they had been getting before the war and the second class citizenship. So they 
kind of rose up, and you have organizations like the NAACP becoming more active. And one of the kind of probably not their priority, but a lesser incarnation of their action was demanding that these big cartoon makers and producers were would stop relying on specifically like slave stereotypes. There was uh, the, the, the Sambo, which is kind of uh, over the top just a stupid slave caricature or like a mammy, which was really big, kind of a desexualized fat black woman picture like Hattie McDaniel and Gone with the Wind and like various characters like that. Like that would then also appear in um, in cartoons as well. I mean, even uh, Tom and Jerry, like for a long period of time, like the, besides the, the cat and the mouse, there was also like a, a black maid character who like exhibited a lot of these stereotypes and then she whenever she would show up she would like speak in this in this, in this minstrel dialect that was this weird dialect that isn't like really how a black person would talk it's like how a white person expects a black person to talk and Tom and Jerry had this territory for a long time until eventually like enough people complained they just didn't have her at all I think after a while they just like didn't have a, a third character which is their solution so that unfortunately becomes a solution in a lot of cartoons. So basically, when these studios were discouraged from drawing black people as racial stereotypes, they ended up just not drawing them at all. And even if the makers of Cuphead weren't conscious of it, Yusuf says, they're still perpetuating that problem today. It's a twisted calculus because like, it's owed to the authenticity of the aesthetic and the medium where you're like, I'm trying to like perfectly encapsulate this aesthetic from the 30s. So I, I can't perfectly capture that aesthetic without being racist. So I'm going to do it by just like whitewashing, by like removing evidence of, of race at all. Samantha agrees. It is whitewashing. It is at its core, it's, it's silencing. It is silencing a side of history that exists. When I say that side of history that exists, it is that, that history of marginalized people. Ultimately, what it is doing it is it is saying okay so we understand that you find this not just problematic but you find this painful right it is a part of a very painful time historically in the united states but if we ignore it it's not painful for us because we didn't experience it one um, i didn't experience it for first hand. i wasn't born in the 1930s but it is a painful part of my history because that history does not stop at the 1930s. That history continues on until the ways that people of color have been treated and represented in the 1940s, in the 1950s, and even until the 2010s, right, when we start to talk about the fact that we're still getting the use of these caricatures as actual characters in 2017. And, and a lot of the response to the article actually was people asking, like, what did you want them to put in, like, racist like, caricatures? It's like, obviously not. But it's so messed up that that's the question that I'm then having to field because, like, like that's just, like, an impossible situation to put, like, people of color and, like, and black people in the current era and, like, the modern day um, to have, like, a producer come out with a cartoon inspired by racist period of American society and then we have to basically be like we're happy that there's only white people in this because otherwise it'd be incredibly racist it's like just like a it's a flawed compromise in in any any way you cut it and it seems like it's putting them in an impossible situation the producers of the of the game but it's also like you chose to 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 use this aesthetic and it looks beautiful but this is the the consequence of that inspiration and that homage 
Samantha points out that a lot of the black culture that's being appropriated, not just by Cuphead, but everywhere in the media, is and has been a culture that came out of suffering and oppression. So when you celebrate the response to suffering without acknowledging the suffering itself, you end up burying that history and the people that endured it. It totally does away with, with what precedes all of these things that are now seen as being as being cool, right, as being something that, you know, that basically people who are not of that culture would like, right? You know, there's jazz music, there's soul food. I mean, by God, there's fried chicken, right? When you don't ask why these things came about in the first place, right, when you simply try to appropriate these things, and, and when I say appropriate, I really mean misappropriate these things without taking with them the baggage, then that does a disservice not only to history as a whole, but to the oppressed people who have come from that historical background. We can't deny history, and, and we never should try. But if we're going to talk about or utilize the animation style of the 1930s, specifically in this case. That is rooted um, in racism, uh, sexism, basic xenophobia. Then I think we need to question what it means to use that and what that can add to or take away from projects that we are creating. Some of the responses I got were like, it's just art, like, you know, art is art and it's objective or it's a, a separate detached from from uh, stuff like racism and, and whatnot. And it's like, no, I mean, it's, in, it's inherent to the, the medium entirely. Like everything that you depict has a connection and a history. So, yeah, to like to basically say that you can take the image and ignore the history is irresponsible. an homage to this period might not have occurred to like a black developer, you know, because it does have so much baggage connected to it. These are the symptoms of the problem. You know, these are the symptoms of an industry that is so overwhelmingly white. So that's the main thing to have to change to start seeing better representation in games. Because, you know, even if a developer like wants to like improve representation, they might still mess it up because they won't be coming from their own life experience. I mean, something I always bring up is, like, I always cringe when I see Nadine Ross from Uncharted because, like, it's a black female character, but she's voiced by a white woman. She's always, like, depicted as a symbol of, like, diversity in games, but you're like, but what about the, like, voice actor? You know, why are, you couldn't find a good black female voice actor? Like, it's like these kinds of like oversights where, you know, when questioned about it, they're like, we didn't even think about it. You know, like, you need developers that are going to think about it. And those are not the people who are in charge right now. After the civil rights movement, the response of whiteness was to just bury it all and to pretend that, like, all right, racism is solved now. And, like, this is, like, we're kind of reaping that in this this year and, and this period 
by kind of pretending that it's all gone away. So it's important to, like, remind people, like, look at our racist history. Like, this stuff was not that long ago. Like, there are people who are still alive today that have to deal with this shit. We need to have that conversation because I think America isn't able to have that conversation. And that does so much damage to our ability to, like, heal structural wounds and, like, bring about equality for, like, non-white people in America. Just because difference can't happen in, like, a silent room where, like, no one is bringing up the the obvious racism that is our legacy. Like, otherwise, it's just, like, you're just going to, like, ignore a lot of the structural problems like mass incarceration, policing, bad education, and so forth. and pretend it's something else, where in reality, it, it is driven by the, the same racism that originally, you know, brought about these characters and stereotypes in these cartoons. This character creator side quest was produced by me and my cat, Jimmy, who really wanted to get herself into this episode. There you go, Jimmy. It was supported in part by a grant from the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, and by you. Some of you have already donated money to the podcast through Patreon. Thank you so much for doing that. It's a really big help. If you like the show and want to chip in, visit patreon.com slash charactercreatorpodcast. You can learn more about the show at www.charactercreatorpodcast.com. You can listen at the website or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this episode, please consider reviewing or rating the show on iTunes. It only takes a second, and it actually goes a long way toward helping the show get heard. I want to thank Samantha Blackman. Let's see. What do I want to plug? Uh, well, I'll, always always what I plug is Not Your Mama's Gamer, because there's so much going on there. It's a blog. It is a podcast. We are launching a, a middle state journal, so you'll be able to see peer-reviewed academic pieces there as well as kind of our usual games critique. We also uh, have the Gaming for Good initiative where we do quarterly charity events to raise money for various charities for various causes. So I do a little bit of everything and I'm always doing a lot, but the best way to find out what we're doing is always to like stop by Not Your Mama's Gamer. And Yusuf Cole. You can, you can find me on Twitter. It's uh, Yumiyu, Y-O-U-M-E-Y-O-U. Samantha's article about Cuphead is called Pickaninnies and Pixels, and you can find it at nymgamer.com. Yusuf's article is called Cuphead and the Racist Specter of Fleischer Animation, and you can find that at unwinnable.com. The theme music for the show is by Names for Sounds. You can find more music at namesforsounds.com. The rest of the music on today's episode is by Duke Ellington and Cab Calloway, with one sample from the Cuphead score. You can find those songs and sources for all of the other references, as always, at our website. The next full episode of Character Creator should be out on December 4th, the first Monday of the month. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for updates.